Welcome. This talk was recorded at Insight LA in Long Beach. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit us at InsightLA.org. So the topic today is the Dharma of Relationships. And um, to celebrate Valentine's Day, I thought this would be a great topic. I want to declare a national emergency. (laughs) (laughs) And say, let's take down the walls. Right? More love in relationships, less walls. So, yes. And vote for me. No. (laughs) Speaking silly now. Um, So, we started this dialogue yesterday. It was very interesting, and I'm I'm excited to talk about it today. And uh, what is the Dharma of relationships? And uh, one of the things we discussed... um, is um, the fact that when we're walled up with our ideas and our desires and our wanting and what we need, we are building a wall relating with each other. And when this wall drops, when it falls away, it's an opportunity for um, true relationships for wisdom, for true connection, for real nurturance, and to allow ourselves to be who we really are and allow that person we're engaged with to be who they are. And we celebrate Valentine's Day in such a narrow way. You know, we're pointing to romance and couples, and which is lovely, and we should celebrate that. But the field of love is so much vaster and deeper than that, so much bigger so much bigger and wouldn't it be great if we could celebrate that i woke up on valentine's day and the first memory that this thought this memory floated up and i'll share it briefly before we talk about this subject a a little bit more in in depth and um i remember um being in israel as a young person uh, in the 80s and a friend had gotten sick I was in Jerusalem and she had gotten sick and asked me to come over and help her and she was all the way on the other side of the city and I took a bus or whatever I got over there to help her and then I lost track of time and um, everything was shut down it was very very late and I realized I had to as a young woman figure out a way to get back to the other side of the city. And uh, finally, I I got a cab. And uh, the cab driver uh, was an Arab man. Maybe he was Palestinian, maybe from Jordan. In those days, uh, it wasn't as segregated as it is now. And uh, I got in the cab very grateful, and we silently drove to uh, the University of Jerusalem where I was staying. And before he let me out, he turned around and he said, young lady, 
very quietly. Young lady, I imagine in America where you're from, because he knew I spoke English, you have a father, but he's not here. So today I am your father. I'm your father. And I tell you, daughter, it's not safe to be alone at night in Jerusalem. So don't let me catch you out again. <laughs> that's a sweet story for Valentine's Day. And that's love without boundaries and walls and definitions and likes and dislikes. And that's the love the Buddha talked about in his Metta Sutta. If we could be a father, a mother, a sister, a brother, unconditionally to uh, those who need it at the moment, you know, there is boundless love. So, so I want to talk a, about the Four Noble Truths again. They are a direction and a pointer to that beautiful place of unconditioned love and caring, unconditioned relationship. So let's um, explore some of the <coughs> Buddhist teachings in this uh, topic. Four Noble Truths. What's the first one? Suffering. There's suffering, there's stress, and there's tension. It's the ticket to being born. Baby comes out, cries, very uncomfortable. It's all beginning. <laughs> <laughs> and the second one? Who knows the second one? There's a cause. And that cause is the way we cling and grasp uh, to things in life. And the third one, there's a way out, right? Cessation. And the fourth is what? There's a path. There's a way of living where we um, <coughs> clinging and grasping and the suffering and tension can cease. And um, I like to take a look at that in um, the field of our interpersonal relationships, you could see this clinging and this suffering and this tension um, all the time when we're talking, speaking, and relating. So uh, the Buddha defined liberation or freedom from suffering as the ending of greed, hatred, and delusion. It's the ceasing of that, the ending of it. And um, it's hard for us to notice or see how greed, hatred, and delusion plays out in our lives. It's not easy to see um, that it arises with thought. And the Buddha said, all thoughts have greed, hatred, or delusion. All thoughts. Or non-greed, non-hatred, <coughs> non-delusion. So with greed... Um, there's a pull towards something. There's a hunger and a wanting and a, a kind of grasping that we do interpersonally. 
And there's nothing wrong with it. So that's the first thing we have to say. There's nothing wrong with wanting. And um, Gregory Kramer, one of the teachers I study, he likes to say, to be human is to be hungry. To be human is to be hungry. To be human is to want. It's, we're, we're built, it's built in. It's a hard wire. <coughs> so it's not wrong. And interpersonally, you know, we don't really often stop and think about how greed plays out. Entertain me, listen to me, help me solidify my sense of a self, build my self-esteem, validate me, especially validate me when I don't like something or someone, <laughs> right? Love me, make me feel worthy, <coughs> listen to my stories, or, and, or let me listen to your stories. It goes on and on. We have an agenda. Build me up, build me down. Right? So the greed in relationships um, is this driving force of wanting. But we don't always see that with that wanting, there's a stress and a tension and a grabby thing that goes on. Most, who are the moms in the room? Mothers. Can you feel that with your child? What we want from our kid? There's so much suffering in being a parent, just on the grasping, right? But we make up for it by being grandparents. Yes. <laughs> That's true. So, um, yeah. So we don't always see that underlying tension in that want. And it's subtle. It can be very, very subtle. Sometimes at work, if I'm stressed out, I just want to be in a conversation, unstress me. <laughs> you know, but it's subtle, right? I have this kind of quiet little demand of my colleague. You know, let's say something to unstress, you know, but it's there, there's desire. And so um, when we look at greed interpersonally, when we want something and want it, and we've got to have it our way, we've got to have this person be our way, we're not trying to end that. We're not trying to take it away, we're going to do it. And so let's be honest about it and accepting of it. We're human. But what this moment is, is a moment for awakening. It's a moment for mindfulness. It's a moment to cease and release the tension. It's a moment to have cessation, to let go, if we can notice it. It's a point of freedom. So it's not wrong, and we don't cease, to, we're not trying to eliminate the greed in relationships. As a matter of fact, we need healthy relationships. And we're better in groups, we're better in tribes, we're tribal people. But we can see the clinging and the greed as a way to release stress and tension. And Elsie likes to say, we were talking about this the other day, um, when you're looking at someone, um, look with soft eyes. See if there's tension behind your eyes. Because very often when we're going out to want to be entertained or to get something, there's tension in the eyes. And I like to say, so she, she softened the eyes 
the muscle behind the eye, and I like to say soften the mouth, because very often the mouth is getting ready to, you know, when you're talking to somebody, there's like a greed in the conversation, you can't wait to tell them what your thought is, or what you want to say about them, like sometimes I can't let people finish their sentence, like, oh, 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 you know, teacher, you know, you know that moment that, right, so we can soften, and um, some of the the release here is to allowing ourselves to have ease in a relationship, to have calm. So um, then there's uh, the the uh, hatred or the aversion, the stress of that, the stress of not liking and not wanting, and. Uh, Think about the last time you didn't like what somebody said, or you didn't want to hear what somebody said, or you just didn't like them. There's a tension and a stress. There's a wall that goes up, and that wall is stressful. That thought is stressful. Feel and sense in your body. So with mindfulness, we can sense and feel when we're putting up this wall, or we're building a wall of thought about this person and notice the stress that it is, that it takes. This week I had um, a real um, aversion to someone. What? Like that never happens, right? But yeah, right? <laughs> you know, just I just felt the tension and the stress of it. And then I wanted to call somebody and tell the story so somebody could agree with me so I could build a bigger wall, <laughs> a bigger self, right? And. Luckily, I didn't do that. I, I was able to see through that one. But um, just feeling the stress of walking around, being a self that had an agenda. And the truth of the matter was the person that I was upset with was just struggling. They were just having a hard time. They're having a hard time right now. That's all that happened. And so... Um, we have these aversive moments that create a stress and we have the opportunity for cessation through mindful awareness, through wisdom, through our practice. Our practice lets go. We don't let go, our practice lets go. You practice enough and the practice practices you. <laughs> and that's the good news. I like to say, when the wanting ends, relationship begins. When the wanting ends, relationship begins. When we're free of these things, um, the heart is open and the intimacy is so real. And the touch, the lack of boundaries, that feeling of one mind, one self, we're in it together. And that's the true nourishment that we seek with our craving. See, it's like an opposite. We let go of the craving, we get the nourishment. I was with um, a, a dear friend. It's happened twice, like within days. And I know you could tell me this story too. Um, and uh, we were talking and she was giggling and getting kind of loud. We were in um, a meeting and um, another dear friend came along and said something sarcastic and kind of mean, but to this friend about her giggling and her loudness and her effervescence. And the friend was crushed. 
it just hurt her so deeply. You know, she, she was um, grieving the loss of someone. She was kind of fragile. It really hurt her badly. And um, when I spoke to her a few days later, she told me it took her days to get over that. We're so sensitive. We're so sensitive. We're so vulnerable. And um, the practice is really about seeing the truth of the way things are. Because I was there when this was said, and I really knew the person who made that comment, that was not her intention at all. She was just having a mindless moment. It's all it was. But we can build a story around that and suffer. Haven't you? Yeah, I have. So what is delusion in relational, um, in our relationships? It's like with greed, when we don't see our greed, we're deluded. When we don't see our aversion or our pushing away, we're already deluded. And then our actions and our behavior that follow may not be um, the most skillful. They may not be so wise. So delusion is the failure to see ourselves clearly, to see the wall we're building. I think the talk is going to have a theme of walls. <laughs> Just the way it is. <laughs> so. How can we look and track a little bit about craving in relationship? Let's look at that for a little bit. Do I want something in this moment, in this conversation, in relationship? Do I want something? Is there a need? Um, it could be individual or group, right? Do I have an agenda? Um, am I attached to it? Is there a little graspy, clingy thing going on? And you feel and sense that in your body. Um, and then, um, can I open to a release? Can I open to a letting go, a softening and a calming down? Can I open to being open and letting go to that? That's where the cessation is. And we're capable of it. We do it all the time. We're really, that's the good news, is we are quite capable of this kind of practice? And can I be receptive to the ease that arises when the truth is seen, when the wisdom arises and there's a release, when I let go and I'm just present without having to control it? Can I accept that ease and feel and sense it in the body? And the Buddha really stressed that knowing factor. Whoops. Knowing of ease. Thank you. It's a lot of notes on grasping and clinging. <laughs> and I, of course, I'm going to say the joke, right? I got a PhD in grasping. Don't ask me where I did my dissertation. <laughs> you know, right? It's a lot of notes on grasping. <laughs> and losing. And losing. Okay. All right. It's a metaphor. It's a metaphor. Yes. We're letting it go. Okay. So I want to talk about um, the different kinds of grasping and clinging right now. 
and then, yeah, the different hungers we have. One is just the greed for sense pleasures, and we'll, we're not going to focus on that one today. So the other two are um, the greed of um, the greed to be, the hunger to be, bhava tanha. And that's the desire, and our society reinforces this, to be seen, recognized, validated. Um, it's also not to be, the fear of not being seen, recognized, it includes the fear of death, non-existence, social invisibility, the fear of being marginalized. And naturally, we want to be seen, liked, valued, respected, um, and we need it. It's good for your brain to be valued and respected, and it's not good for your brain to be in situations where you're not valued and respected. It's quite stressful and not very healthy. So this is all quite natural. The difficulty is in this is to see the underlying hunger and tension when we want it when we need it, when we feel like we need it, there's an underlying stress there. And to be able to look at that, to see if there's a release or a wisdom in it or a knowing. And you all know that. The hunger to be validated and to be said, you're okay. Now, sometimes we need that and that's good. But other times what's good is when we release it and we just know we're okay because we are beingness. Right? Arriving into beingness without needing anybody to tell you that you're worthy. That worthiness comes from within. So that is the hunger to be seen, but right with it for all of us, there's the hunger not to be seen, the social avoidance, the fear of intimacy, the spacing out in your relationship and not connecting, um, not wanting to stand up and speak. Right? Um, not wanting, like hiding, hiding out. How many times have you heard someone say, well, I've been hiding in life. I just watched that movie with Glenn Close. That was kind of creepy, a big kind of hiding. Did anybody see that? The Good Wife? Yeah. Yeah. The Wife? Yeah. Yeah. We can hide. We cannot be. We don't want to be known. We get shy. If we break into a small group, is I don't want to talk today. <laughs> and all of that is based in biology and normal and okay. There's nothing wrong with it. But it is a hunger. It is a hunger. And what we're trying to say is we're building a mindful awareness to see how we vacillate between wanting to be seen and not wanting to be seen, things going our way, not going our way, getting our needs met relationally, not getting our needs met. I like what he said. I don't like what he said. I like the way they treated me. I didn't like the way they treated me. I'm pushing away. I'm grabbing. I want more of that. And I don't want this. I really don't want this, but give me more of that. And we see the underlying stress and suffering. So in mindful moment, in this quiet moment, we can turn away. We can watch with mindful awareness and come back in to that stillness 
the non-greed, non-aversion, non-delusion, that place of relinquishment, of letting go, of just being. And if we're lucky, we get to meet another there. We get to meet another there. And a taste of that is freedom. The other day, um, a friend of mine, um, she was working on a, um, a question, which is, beautiful question, what gets in the way of present moment experience? What gets in the way? What stops beingness, here now, presence? And we sat there together, and we just got really still and shared, explored. We closed our eyes. We got really quiet as we explored what gets in the way in a busy daily life to stop and drop down and be present. What's here? And so what I want to say about that experience is that when we really get quiet and create some stillness and reflect on the truth of the way things are and we're listening, sharing, but just from, from an embodied place right here. What she and I began to experience was this um, one mind. There was no difference, no body. And the wisdom that was arising, it wasn't wisdom from one mind, it was wisdom from two minds. This is why Sangha is so important in that we gather together. The collective wisdom deepened the experience. It wasn't my mind or her mind, it was mind seeing mind. Beautiful experience. So I'll tell you one more story about non-aversion, non-delusion, and non-greed. But it was a non, this is a non-aversion story, a big non-aversion story, right? Big and little, no difference. There's freedom in every moment. Last week I was walking down the hallway of the office, a little non-aversion, right, story. And I walked by somebody's office, and this little thought was, I don't like her. You know, oh. It's a bad thought, right? You know, it's not, a, it's not a Dharma teacher thought, right? But it came, right? It just came. And then I stopped, I looked at that, and I said, you know, just the look of it, you just see the thought for what it is, right? Who is that that doesn't like that one? And of course, hours later, that one came to my help and helped me so nicely. It was like, you could see the illusion, delusion. But, when we, but wisdom uproots ignorance. Just, you practice wisdom uproots. Wisdom uproots. This is a little one, but little is big. That's cessation. That's what the Buddha was talking about. A big one, I'll tell you a story, and then we're going to have time for dialogue. We'll have some dialogue. Uh, so when I was a kid in the 60s, I lived in these um, three-story garden apartments, and there were blocks and blocks and blocks of them right at the East River and a big electric power plant. It's a really interesting place to live. 
And um, they were filled with families, and they were filled with very poor, poor families, my family included. And um, what would happen is when the projects overflowed in New York City, families would come into these garden apartments and get the same rent. So it was essentially projects. Um, it's a lot of poverty and suffering there, and a very and, and difficulty. And uh, one day in the 60s, there was a helicopter um, flying over the uh, air of uh, New York City, and it crashed into one of the buildings. As a matter of fact, it would have hit my apartment. It was just like a block or two is exactly where my apartment was. Fascinating. And it was on the news. And, um, what I didn't know as a kid is that the garden apartments were segregated. And I did, you don't notice that as a kid, necessarily. And so um, the court, there were courtyards, and there were courtyards of, of white and brown families, but the African-American families were segregated in this big complex. And the family that really got the helicopter was um, a building of African-American families. So I didn't notice that our courtyard filled with poor families was white and brown. And um, we were soon to get an African-American family, this lovely young couple with two or three kids. And I started to hear like the murmur of racism, you know? And um, this family began to move in. And the, I remember the man's name was Clarence. And as a kid, we're so innocent in some ways. And I think now about this family, what it must have been like to have to move into a courtyard filled with people where you might not be wanted and have young children. Can you imagine that feeling? And what Clarence did, and I'll never forget this, just after the moving truck delivered the furniture, he walked outside. In those days, kids played outside. <laughs> Remember those days, right? Lots of them, tons of them. The, the neighborhood was filled with kids. And he invited everyone upstairs to a party. Everyone. And he and his wife put out food for the whole courtyard. And every kid was packed in there that was kind of looking like this. And we all ate, and the next thing we did was, he said, the next thing we were going to do was we were going to have a dance party and a dance contest. <laughs> and we had this great dance party. And Clarence became the most popular man in this courtyard. Nobody could get enough of him. Nobody. And we were all, and we'd all go up to, can we have a party, Clarence? You know, and we were all just so thrilled. Um, and he just, changed the whole environment. He was adored, and, and he ended it. Non-aversion. That's a good example of non-aversion and courageous heart, right? <coughs> That's non-aversion in action. And um, their, their home got repaired, um, and they chose to move back, and we were devastated. <laughs> don't go, Clarence, don't go. <laughs> True story.
So, it's good to have stories like that, that soften and warm the heart. And point to the Buddha's teachings, their beautiful impact, and the capacity we all have, not just to awaken for ourselves, but to awaken for each other. Not just to heal ourselves, but to heal each other. We all wake up to the truth of the way things are for all beings not just for ourselves. And when we have that cessation, whether you're at work or in your family or with a group of friends, it's freeing for everyone. It's freeing for everyone who feels that ease and peace. We're giving people permission to be just as they are and we're caring for them just as they are. And we're present with them, just as they are. And that's all we ever want. So I'll end with um, one of the poems and sayings that my teacher read to me when I started in Buddhism a long time ago, from Cheng Su. If a man is crossing a river, and an empty boat collides with his own skiff. Even though he be a bad-tempered man, he will not become very angry. But if he sees a man in the boat, he will shout at him to steer clear. If the shout is not heard, he will shout again, and yet again, and then begin cursing and all because there is somebody in the boat. Yet if the boat were empty, he would not be shouting and not angry. If you can empty your own boat, crossing the river of the world, no one will oppose you. No one will seek to harm you. High goal, high one. But every day we can chip a little, a little, a little, a little for noble truths. Sensing and feeling your body, mindful awareness in the moment, presence and being. All of this helps us on the path. Yes. I like to bring up the question Yes. Uh, at what point do you let go of your aversion of somebody who is abusing you? Correct. How, yes. how long do you put up with that? Saying, oh, I'm just going to let go of the fact that they said they were going to be here and they didn't show. And let go of the fact that they promised and they didn't for the eighth time. So, um, when your truth needs to be said, it's said. And you can say your truth, you can assert boundaries, you can make requests, 
you can walk away, you could not be engaged. But when you're doing it embodied from your truth, from your soul, from who you are and what you need, there isn't a clinging, or there doesn't have to be a clinging, or an attachment to the outcome. Right? You don't have to be attached to the outcome, <clears throat> but we do have to say our truth. And you notice, we talked about this yesterday, when you're really saying your truth, notice your energy, it comes from your belly up, your heart, your belly, it's embodied, the truth of the way things are. It isn't about, I need you to get it, right? I need you to understand. I need you to agree with me, because they may not. But boundaries need to be set. Truth needs to be set. It's not a prescription for abuse. It's a prescription for a liberation. <laughs> and, and no could be. You can say no without grasping or clinging. It's no. clean. Anybody else? So that, that implies that you have to know yourself. Beautiful, Kathleen. That's right. Um, did anybody get a little email from Eckhart Tolle the other week? He gives those little present moment reminders I get in my email box. And one of the things he said was so beautiful. He said, in order to know another First, you have to know yourself. You have to be connected to yourself. No intimacy happens without intimacy in here. He said it better. Close. Right. But it's true. You really have to have that felt sense of your own experience. There has to be that awareness happening internally. You know, Buddha said mindfulness is internal and external. So if it's not internal, it can't really be external. Yes. That's sort of along the lines of this book, Brittany Brown's I think, new book, where she, it's all about belonging and how you, have, how you have to belong to yourself before you can, you know, and in the same time as you're belonging to, you know that you are aware of, <laughs> that you're aware of that you need to belong to everybody else, to your groups and body. Yeah, yeah, that's where the mindfulness practice is essential. <clears throat> and where did the Buddha start? Body felt sense of the body is a great way to be here here really changes the quality of relating down and in yes Sue. we talked about being on the receiving end of someone who's doing the grasping and the needing and the expectation of us and how we still have to in the end find our wisdom in that in order for the whole thing to settle but again, you just said, too, what about their response? They may or may not respond in kind. They may still continue to do that, but we still have to, I don't know. It was, yeah, just kind of still have to find the wisdom of that side of it in order for it to work. Right. That makes sense. No, that makes great sense. Um, and it's a great example when you're the um, object of someone's grasping and clinging, what that feels like. Yeah, that's great. Dance have... party with plants. <laughs> <laughs>
Yes. Oh, I um, talked about, uh, I have subtle greed in my phone conversations with my best girlfriends. I have agreed to be considered a good friend. Like, I want to have entertained them on this call. I hope they had a good laugh, that we had a good time, that they feel good when the call's over. I hope that the advice I gave was really good. So it's very subtle greed because those are wholesome desires for my friend. But it, it, it feels like when the call's over, I have feelings inside of joy and excitement over having talked with them, but also a little nervousness, a little tightness from the, oh, did I do a good job of being a good friend? So, like, my ego even comes into those calls. And that's my, that's the subtle greed in some of my relationships. Well said. Even the wholesome desire can have some greed and then some stress. And none of it to be judged, just to be known. Just to be known. It's really a beautiful subject. We could go on forever. We should just have an all day or a half day or something where we really can go in it in depth. Yes. I, I'm always um, astounded by commonality of feelings, emotions, situations. I mean, when you're talking about, you know, this conversation that you have with your friends, I'm sitting here thinking, and it's just it's so surprising that you know in in this room there's it's like I get that I understand that talking in our foursome I mean we're all sort of very different and yet we all have these same common experiences and emotions and you know fear of death and and want to be accepted and I, the, one of the things that really comforts me about the practice is that, that you know, we can just come to terms with all of these things. That it's just about when you said, Wendy, that when, you know, you practice and at some point in the time the practice practices you, and that's such a lovely release that, that we can have. But I'm just amazed that we're all so different and yet so much the same sitting here, figuring it out. I think I heard a welcome down, isn't it? <laughs> oh, gosh. Okay. I think on that note. <laughs>